Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. Well, good morning, and once again, a warm welcome to all of you. And I want to begin uh, by asking two questions. So here's the first one. Have you ever smoked a cigar? Please raise your hand if you've ever smoked a cigar. Oh, that's (laughs) more hands than I thought. All right. Well, okay. The people who just raised their hands are a little bit closer to understanding the good news of Jesus Christ than the rest of us. And if you'll just hang in to the end of the sermon, you'll understand why. Here's the second question, not to answer out loud or raise your hand, but just to think about. What does it take to motivate you to do something? I ask that question because Jesus is asking the same question in the gospel that Ben just read for us. As this summer is about over, and as kickoff Sunday is next Sunday, and as we've got this exciting fall season planned here at Calvary St. George's with all sorts of plans and programs and challenges and visions— What motivates you to move ahead this fall with enthusiasm and excitement? Well, there is one way in which a person is motivated that you and I know perfectly well, and it's the way of the world. It's the way of criticism. It's the way of threat. So, for instance, an NYU professor might say to a student, if you don't pass this exam, you're going to flunk out of the course. Or a friend might say to another friend, if you don't get your act together, your marriage is going down the tubes. Or Jacob Smith might say to me, Monroe, if you don't pledge more to Calvary St. George's, we're going to have to cut your salary. <laughs> Thank you. I said that at the, over at St. George's earlier, and no one laughed, so that was great. Thank you. So that is why a fast reading of this morning's gospel makes me cringe Because it sounds at first as though Jesus is motivating people by using threats. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and he's getting a lot of converts. And so in today's gospel, Jesus says to the crowds, Hold it! Before you sign on to follow me, you had better count the cost. And it's the phrase count the cost that makes me cringe. I've heard this phrase all my adult Christian life, and it's always sounded to me, underneath it all, if I'm going to be honest with you, like a threat. I visualize a kind of Schwarzenegger Jesus looking me right in the eye and saying, you want to follow me, Jim? Then you got to hate your father and your mother and your sisters and your brothers and even your own life. You want to follow me, Jim? Then you've got to take up your cross. You want to follow me, Jim? Then you've got to renounce everything you got. Think you can do that? Well, the truth is, Jesus is saying nothing of the kind. The truth is, I'm the one who's conjuring up this image of a Schwarzenegger Jesus. The truth is, I'm the one who interprets the phrase count the cost as meaning that I need to get my act together in order to deserve God's love. 
But the truth is, Jesus in this passage is setting no conditions on being a follower. The costs that are listed in this gospel are simply descriptions. They're just descriptions of how things sometimes are when you're in a relationship with Jesus. And let me give you a little illustration to explain what I mean. During World War II, the British Navy discovered that when their ships were sinking, the younger and the more physically fit sailors were dying, while the older and less physically fit sailors were surviving. And the Navy came to the realization that it was the inner resources of the older sailors that made the difference. And so a solution was found when a program was developed in which all the sailors, especially the young ones, were subjected to experiences of extreme challenge and stress and danger, but in controlled circumstances so they wouldn't actually be hurt or die. The results of the training were dramatic. The younger sailors began to survive. So when the war ended, the program became a school for civilians, and they named it Outward Bound. And today, there are dozens of Outward Bound schools all around the world. I'll bet um, that some of you here have taken part in some of them. One of the schools is in the Rocky Mountains and in, in Colorado, and many years ago, I took that course. In the weeks before the course began, Outward Bound asked me to count the cost. Not as a threat, not as a condition, but simply as a description of how things sometimes are during the course. And so, for instance, one of the costs to be counted was 23 days of hiking up and down steep mountains with heavy packs. So I was encouraged to get in shape beforehand. Another cost to be counted was the simple food that we were going to eat, including a three-day solo in which we didn't eat anything at all, and so I was encouraged to eat a little bit less as the course approached. One big cost to be counted was our feet, and I was encouraged to buy a pair of sturdy hiking boots a month at least beforehand and to wear them regularly to break them in. Those were real costs, but they were not threats, and they were not conditions for acceptance. And in fact, the outward bound policy was to accept anybody who applied. The costs to be counted were simply descriptions of how things are on an outward bound course. And the truth of the matter is that none of us on that course fully counted the cost. None of us was in good enough shape. All of us got blisters on our feet especially the guy who bought his pair of boots one day before the course, had 12 blisters on one foot at the end of the first day. And in exactly the same way, there's not one person here this morning, starting with the clergy first, who can fully count the cost of being a follower of Jesus. Not one of us here can renounce all that we have. Not one of us here can fully bear our own crosses. Every single one of us here are going to get, and probably have right now, some of us, all kinds of spiritual blisters. And therefore, and this whole sermon has been leading up to this, this point, 
you and I are never to know ourselves as super Schwarzenegger saints. If that was this kind of church, I would walk out of the door this morning and never come back. You and I have the privilege of being invited to know ourselves as prodigal sons and daughters with the blisters of having blown our inheritance and of being welcomed home with open arms and unconditional love and a party. You and I are invited this morning to know ourselves as St. Peter with the blisters of having denied our Lord three times and a lot more and to know ourselves this morning as walking on the beach with Jesus after the resurrection and hearing him say to us as he said to Peter, I love you. You and I are to know ourselves as the woman at the well with the blisters of having blown four marriages and a whole lot more and of hearing Jesus saying to us this morning, I offer you living water. So yes, the costs to be counted are going to come along as you and I stumble along toward the kingdom. Costs of money, costs of time, costs of saying, I'm sorry, costs of standing up for what's right. But when the costs come along, you and I are going to discover, as millions of Christians have before us, that all is well. And, in fact, we're going to discover some cigar smoke. And that's, I want to close with that. Red Auerbach was one of the greatest basketball coaches of all time. When he coached the Boston Celtics in the 1960s, he won nine National Basketball Association NBA championships in 10 seasons. He was also vital in breaking down color barriers in the NBA. All in all, he won 16 NBA championships in his 29 years with the Celtics. Auerbach also famously loved cigars. And whenever a win was absolutely assured while the game was still going on, Auerbach would light up a cigar on the sidelines, on the bench, and smoke it for the rest of the game. Restaurants in Boston would post signs saying, no cigar smoking except for Red Auerbach. Now, there's no evidence, in the Bible at least, that God smokes cigars. But St. Paul declares, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. Paul declares that our victory our victory of being forgiven by our Lord on the cross, the victory of our being loved unconditionally, as is this morning, right now, the victory of our being in the process of being made new, the victory of Christ's love for you and me this morning being the last word has been assured since before the foundation of the world. So I'm picturing Jesus sitting on the sidelines during the game of my life, watching me play. Jesus is watching me dribble down the court and just fall over my own feet over and over. Jesus is watching me occasionally pass the ball while mostly hogging it to myself. 
Jesus is watching me throw some elbows illegally under the basket. Jesus is watching me make one or two basket, but mostly missing the backboard completely. Jesus is watching me limp around the court with all sorts of blisters. And all the while, he's smoking a cigar. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. You and I cannot count the cost fully of a basketball game or anything else. The only thing we can count on is that we are forgiven this morning as we are and loved unconditionally. And it is enough. As you and I get ready for a wonderful fall here at Calvary St. George's together, may we simply lean back and entrust ourselves to the love that will not let us go. I can almost smell the cigar smoke right here. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.